Michelle. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Better Words. We're recording. Yay. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. This is so I'm weird. I'm still husky in all of these because it's the morning here and I just woke up. <laughs> We may have to swap these one day and we'll do it when it's evening your time and morning my time. I feel but I'm like not really you a... couldn't cope with that. No, I couldn't. I'm not a morning person. I'm out of, like, thankfully I live like five minutes from where I work. So I'm usually out of bed 40 minutes before I start. <laughs> That's the yeah, kind of person no. I am. It's fine though. There, some Some people are morning people, some people aren't. I'm not. I'm not a morning person <laughs> at all. <sighs> no. Well, it's raining here, so classic British summer. <laughs> I'm a bit cold here because it's about 20 degrees, so classic Queensland winter. <laughs> it's literally going to be a top of, like, 11 today. It's the degrees. middle of summer. Oh, my goodness. I know. I'm so cold. <laughs> I just wait till next summer where you're like, oh man, it's about 11. Yeah, so hot. So hot. Shorts. This out. is what you're. Yeah. yeah. It's just short no, I know weather. It's a, yeah. I know it's okay to complain because like all the British people are complaining about the rain. So it's not just me, okay? Okay, good. Because it's, it's properly, like, it's not just a bit of drizzle. It's properly pouring. We've had like a month's worth of rain already in like a day. And it's going to be raining all week like this. And we really need oh, to Well, it does sound like a central Queensland. And that was Jack's alarm. Okay. <laughs> That's proof that it's morning. But yeah. all of that rain, it does sound like a central oh. Queensland summer. Might get a cyclone. I know. I actually <laughs> feel like I'm at home. This is what mm. home feels like. <laughs> it's just less cold. Yeah, it's just usually really muggy and there are tons of mosquitoes and it's really hot and, yeah, no, none of that. This is properly cosy weather. So we've been binging season three of Santa Clarita Diet. Isn't it so good? Have you finished it yet? No, we haven't finished it yet. It's so, so good. I love that show. It's so good. It's so funny. I just, I really love Drew Barrymore in that. She's so good. She is. I love, um, God, we are the worst. Every time we start recording, I forget the names of things. The neighbour, the little, what's his name? Oh, Eric. The character's name is Eric. Eric. I love him. He's my favourite. He's my favourite character. Yeah, me too. He's so good. Uh, yeah, so Eric is so good. Very cute. I This season is really clever. I just like the layered humour as well. Mm. Like the way that there are so many little jokes and uh, it's just very witty and clever. And I it, it is. It is. I mean, it's such a good show. I think it has been cancelled, which I'm devastated by. I really want a fourth season. I saw people complaining about it online and I didn't know whether there'd been any resolution, you know, like when they cancelled Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And And it came back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I just didn't know whether anything had happened or if it was still cancelled. 
I'm not sure. I haven't really seen anything about it for a little while, but I I think it's really good. I really hope that they can continue. But I know you haven't finished it yet, but the end of this season almost would be a good closing point. But obviously we just want to keep seeing more. Yes, so it's been actually, interesting. On that note, did you see that the fourth season of The Good Place will be the final season of The Good Place? <gasps> no, it didn't. Aww. So I think Although I guess how many things... times can they keep going? <laughs> anyway. Sorry, I just don't want to talk over you. No, it's all good. I'm done. So I think it was Danielle Binks who tweeted this, but it was a statement from like the producers and stuff just saying we want to end it on our own terms. Mm-hmm. And I think in light of the fact that there are so many shows where people are like, no, we want more, we want it's really good that they've come out and been like, we always envisaged it as four seasons. We wrote four seasons. Obviously at times we've wanted to continue because everyone loves it so much and we didn't expect this but we don't want to drag it out because we wrote four seasons and that's how we imagined the character arc and everything. Yeah. And I think that that's quite good, like that in storytelling they would end it where they want to end it on their own terms. Yeah, I agree because, you know, a lot of these things, like they get dragged out and things change and, you know, whatever, but then – it ends up that things change anyway. Like one that I've been really disappointed by recently, I have only just finished watching the sixth season of Arrow because that's all that's on Australian Netflix. But they're about to start filming the eighth season, I think. But because this is a common thing with a lot of TV contracts, I think, is that you just sign a seven-year contract, which is why... there's probably a pattern you can pick where lots of people choose to leave at the end of a seventh season, even though there's continuing seasons. They just choose not to renew their contract. Um, But one of the main characters on Arrow is leaving at the end of the seventh season. And I'm like, but what? She's literally the main character's wife. Like I hope she doesn't get killed off or anything, but I don't know. But, I'm like, what? They're only doing eight seasons. I'm like, you can't stick around for, like, 12 more episodes? What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is really odd. Yeah. But I I do think that we want more, we want more characters and stuff like that, but sometimes that means that we ruin ruin the show. We ruin what we love about the show as well. Like, I think um, one of the reasons – Gavin and Stacey probably works as well as it does is because it's three seasons and it's Mm. six or seven episodes a season and it's really contained and then that just becomes a classic that everyone loves and they they are coming back for a Christmas special and I'm sort of nervous but then again it's the same team everyone's on board so I'm sure it's bound to be be true to the story yeah because it's written by James Corden and Ruth Jones as well, who wrote all the original series, so I'm sure it will be amazing. Mm. But it is I, I think sometimes it's nice to have a smaller a smaller season because but it is funny, isn't it, that like it feels like those long running T V dramas that's like a, a thing of the past. Like, you know, I always talk about like Boogie Healers like, and Heartbeat. 
like Grey's Anatomy is up to like yeah. season 14 and they're still not done and Patrick Dempsey hasn't even been on the show for like five years or something. That's oh. my, my only point of reference for um for Grey's Anatomy is like Patrick Dempsey, Sandra Oh, who was the one who was Meredith and Catherine Heigl, like those are my points of reference. <laughs> yeah, me too. I've never watched it. I just know some things like that, but yeah. yeah, it's funny with TV shows because, like, I think that's one thing people often say about Friends is that, like, they should have done nine or eight seasons instead of ten. And it's like, well, actually, they thought they were going to get nine. And then halfway through the ninth season, they got a tenth season. So they had to quickly make something up to extend mm. it. Anyway, yeah. we probably should stop talking about TV. Um, What are you reading? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I need to eat humble pie right now because I just finished Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix and a few episodes ago I said that it was my least favourite Harry Potter and that I had never reread it because it was so big and angsty and I didn't like it. Um, so turns out I really like it. Um, it's wonderful. It's so nuanced, and I'm so glad I reread it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I just can't believe, like, I don't know, I guess this is the, you know, type of fan I am. Like, I would never go back and reread just one of the books anyway. Like, it's the whole series or nothing. But. Ain't nobody got time like, for that. Well, yeah, that's why I haven't reread it in, like, three years. But, <laughs> but like then it means that I reread each book. So I do remember a pretty good amount of each book. Like, I just can't, like, when you've reread the series in the past, have you just, like, skipped it? Like, Yeah, I usually get up to, like, number three, and then I'm like, get, I've actually, I've got halfway through number four twice and not finished it because stuff's happened and it's also not my favourite. Um, and then... I've just been like, I'm just going to read. I don't know why, but, like, I just really liked number six, so I've just reread yeah. number six and seven a lot because they're my favourites and Order of the Phoenix was really off-putting. This is so interesting to me. Like, I don't know. I just can't imagine doing that. Anyway, like, I'm eating my I watch the movies individually, but, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I'm glad it's you have finally really reread it, yes, and are, it's really you know, back. You know, I mean, the fifth one, there's a lot of problems there, but like, it has Umbridge. Everyone hates Harry because they don't believe Voldemort's back. You know, Dumbledore's army. It is, it is like, so there's angsty, a lot. Though. Yeah, it is. it is so angsty, but yeah, lots of really. He's a depressed 15 year old boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's be honest, he has PTSD from yes, he does die. Yep. And no um, one helps him. Though everyone's just like, oh, we thought it'd be better not to communicate with you just in case. Like, oh, yeah. my God. I know. Hogwarts needs some mental health training, honestly. <laughs> yeah, totally everyone forgot. go to the staff room. It's time for, it's Are You Okay Day. <laughs> yes, they need Are You Okay Day at Hogwarts. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh my god. And when yeah. he like collapses on the floor and has that last dream during the exam, they're like, Oh, it's just the pressure of exams. I'm like, Oh my god, what kind of exams are you having? Oh my god. 
Yeah, I know. It's only their, like, junior exams. It's not even, mm. like, their finals. He doesn't even take the finals. He doesn't graduate high school. No, because they don't do seventh year. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, God, yeah. I just – I love when he's in his um, – careers consult with McGonagall yeah. and he's like oh maybe you want to be an aura and Umbridge is like oh, <clears throat> I don't think so and Umbridge I'm um, sorry McGonagall's like I will teach you every single day if it's the last thing I do you will become an aura yeah <laughs> I know Umbridge. I know uh, so good or like when he gets sent to his head of house McGonagall by Umbridge and he's like yeah I've been sent here I forget what he even does but it's that classic one where it's like have a biscuit, Potter. Like, she doesn't even punish him. She's like, have a biscuit. <laughs> yeah, she does make him do the detentions, though. Oh, she does, doesn't she? Yeah. 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 That's when he gets, has to write, I must not tell lies. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hmm. Anyway, so good. So was it a bit nostalgic? Yeah, it was. It was. It was, it was funny, though, because I can't really remember when I first read it. I don't know why. I just have never really enjoyed it as much. Oh, um, yeah. The only other thing I wanted to talk about was what woke me up so early, which is why I then went back to sleep and then only woke up in time for us to call, so I sound all croaky. <laughs> um, it's so sad, though. I'm like, I'm going to start crying. Um, so I think everyone who listens will probably remember we went to see Eliza Schlesinger in Brisbane last year. So I was scrolling through Facebook this morning and I see a picture of Blanche, her dog, and then I see this massive long caption and I started reading it and it was about how Blanche has died. Oh, I was so surprised because I guess I just didn't know how old Blanche was, but like I No one does. Yeah, I read through the um through the long caption that you sent to me <laughs> I read through it just like in bits and pieces because I was still at work so if I'd read it all in one sitting it might have been a bit more moving but oh there's just so much love for this dog I know so, so we should we should link to the full caption because it's really beautiful like mm. I think the thing is even if you it doesn't matter if you don't watch Eliza or whatever. What this is is about someone who rescued this dog from a shelter, which is why no one knows how old she is. And over 10 years, this dog has become her whole life. You know, mm. she comforted her. She had this really beautiful um, bit that she wrote that was like, you were my whole world, basically. Like when they, they would go on the road together, they would travel together all through the time that she was, you know, cutting her teeth as a stand-up comic and she was traveling she would take Blanche to shows people would meet her you know like it's just and as soon as I so I woke Jack up to tell him I was like oh my god babe Blanche died and then he was like what but Eliza and Smokey Husky are in Japan so yeah they are adorable at the moment (laughs) so yeah I mean it sounds like we're stalkers but They've got like Eliza is wonderful. They're very with her active fans. social media accounts. It's fine. Yeah, and she's super wonderful with her fans. She takes mm. us everywhere with her, and she she is in Japan at the moment with her mm. husband, Smokey Husky. Yeah, I don't even know how that started, but it's what Me everyone neither. calls him. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, 
she's over there and they got the news that like her beloved dog had died um and it's just heartbreaking it's Mm. so heartbreaking and I think the only other time I felt this sad for someone I do not know over their dog dying was when Hobo died um yeah Peltier's dog from the lady gang yeah that was really sad yeah poor little Hobo I know, but it was reading Eliza's post was really beautiful because she's called it a eulogy to Blanche, and what she talks about is how she knew that she wouldn't have forever with her, so she gave her like all the love, all the time. She never held back because she knew that this day would come eventually, and it's just really beautiful. And like, if you have a dog that you love, like, or any pet really, like, read her post. It's just so, 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 so beautiful. Oh, just made my heart melt. Yeah. No, so sad. Anyway, I've done all the talking in this. What have you been doing? Well, actually, this will brighten it up a little bit, hopefully. I watched the Jonas Brothers documentary called Chasing Happiness, and it was so good. Like, I want to watch it again already. (laughs) Did you hear that? I want to re-watch a documentary. (laughs) Like, but, oh, it was so good. It was just really like really interesting because I guess again by age and lack of internet and everything as they were sort of coming up also they're American but as they were coming up and you know everything was happening and they were touring and everything I didn't really know that much about them I you know watched them in Camp Rock and would see their show on Saturday Disney sometimes they had a Disney channel show themselves yeah love Saturday Disney um and like I knew you know, year 3000 and, like, the hits or whatever. And then as they, you know, as Nick went solo and Joe did DNCE and everything, I liked their music a bit more and everything. So I sort of got to, got to like them better as artists individually, which is odd. But now I'm a huge Jonas Brothers fan because they've gotten back together. But the whole documentary was about like sort of their rise to fame and then how they were trying to do different things, but they were still a band. So then they had to break up and come into their own and everything. But the way they spoke even about, because Kevin didn't go solo or anything, he just got married and had two adorable little girls and everything. Mm-hmm. But the way even the other two spoke about how, like more confident and like how different Kevin is about you know how he's just like a better version of himself since becoming a father it's like break my heart (laughs) so good but like really interesting though just about how talented they all were from the beginning like there was a part where his where their father said about Nick that when he was about three years old he was walking down the hallway and he just sang was singing to himself and he went like la 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 and then was like hmm that's not right, took steps backwards, walked forwards again to do it again and do it correctly, and then was like, yep, and kept walking. And the <laughs> the cliff is like, you know, their dad is like, I just turned to my wife and was like, did you see that? <laughs> like just amazing musical talent from very young ages. It's very impressive. I have absolutely no idea. Mm. Yeah, well, have you ever been a fan of any of them? Um, I mean, I used to watch the show on Saturday Disney, but yeah. then obviously, like, I was a bit on the older side, so mm. 
then I just kind of grew out of it and I didn't really follow them or anything. Mm. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, you say you were on the older side. They When they did that show on Sunday Disney, they were like, what, Nick's the youngest, but Nick was like 18. Like they were too old for it. By the time they sort of got the show and were doing all of that, they were too old for it. And as a band, they were too old for it. And the show was, you know, Disney show. It was aimed at like eight-year-olds. That is so but I still weird. Wa- yeah, I know. I don't remember when it aired, but I was not eight. <laughs> mm. But I also didn't like it very much. I was like Camp Rock. They, was that where they had to, it was kind of like real but fake? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. They were things confuse me. They, yeah, they do, hey. It was mm. like a sitcom, I guess, like a family show. And they were brothers, and even their younger brother, Frankie, was in it. But there was, like, different people playing their parents. And they were, like, all at high school. But they were a band. Yeah, it was, like, too Did real but not real. Did they have a different name, though, or were they the Jonas Brothers? I think they were the Jonas Brothers. Or they might have been Jonas. I don't know. The show was called Jonas. It's so weird. Yeah, it was confusing. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah anyway the documentary was really really good it was really good yeah I don't know I've just been on a real Jonas Brothers high I mean they got back together and released like one song and then all of a sudden I'm listening to their back catalogue I'm watching Camp Rock I'm <laughs> then they released the documentary and listening to the new album I'm like all the content please I love it <laughs> have you been reading anything yes I I'm just under halfway through the flat share by um I'm Beth my brain. Beth O'Leary, that's right. I was gonna say Beth something, but I couldn't remember her really last name. I really want to read that. It's so cute. So in case you haven't heard of it, everyone, I'm sure you have. The concept is that these two flatmates, one works night shifts and one has like a normal nine to five job. So they live together, but they have never met and they never see each other, and they're never at the house at the same time. And I have just gotten to the part they have just met for, like, two seconds. Yay. Yep. It's I don't want to give away. Right? Yeah. I don't want to give Which away how they It's hilarious. Which is why they have to rent a room, because mm-hmm. house prices are ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's literally, like, like on the front of the book it says like Tiffy and Leon share a bed Tiffy and Leon have never met (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's so good I'm really excited I've only heard good things it sounds so good yeah it's really good I think you'll really like it yeah anyway so that's the updates from us yeah okay well we better crack on with the rest of the episode then yeah Our guest today is a mentor to young writers and graduated from the MFA program for writers at Warren Wilson College in the US. She's travelled and lived all over the world and now lives in Wollongong in New South Wales. We are talking to her about her beautiful debut novel, How It Feels to Float. Welcome to Better Words, Helena Fox. Hello, thank you for having me. Thanks very much. Thank you. It's so absolutely much for our pleasure. <laughs> 
<laughs> I do feel the need that we possibly need to address um, that this is Michelle and I's first time interviewing someone separately. So she hasn't left the country yet, but we're in different <laughs> cities. So <laughs> yeah, we've so, never done this before. <laughs> yeah, so we might have a few little glitches, but hopefully it all works out. <laughs> Um, so let's get right into it, Helena. So this book deals so intimately with grief. Um, why did you want to explore that? It's, you know, it's such a complex and deeply personal experience. Um, I think what happened initially is that I started just writing a story and um, Biz just kind of showed up in my head and started telling her story. And... Um, as I learned more about her, she kind of first arrived by talking about my photographs. Um, there was this just this voice kind of describing photographs that I had on my um, on my camera roll, and um, and I was intrigued by that. And as I kind of explored her more, I found out that her father had passed away, and that he still came to visit her. And so what happened from there was kind of figuring out what was going on with her and how she was dealing with the loss of her dad. And I quickly discovered that um, he, well, not only did he die a long time ago, but then he disappears again and it becomes um, vital to her to try and bring him back. And, and that's kind of the key pieces I had of her story. And then I wasn't quite sure how to do her voice justice or her story justice. So I, I carefully just put her to one side and waited for it to be the right time for me to tell her, tell her story. And so um, what happened for me was that a lot of things happened in the intervening years from the initial writing of her, her little pieces to the final rushing through, or, you know, what came out in a rush was about six years later after I lived with my own, um, loss and an intense grief at the at the loss of some uh, really dear person in my life and and what that had done to me and to my mental health and I think um, having experienced grief and having experienced loss before um, and then having this really devastating loss happen I think I understood what I wanted to say and I wanted to explore more deeply the way that grief can can just undo you and upend you and and turn your your truth unreliable and hazy yeah 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 it certainly is a very uh personal book to read as well like we can tell that you know there was a lot of you in that as well if you don't mind us saying yeah I mean there is a lot of me and there's also a lot of um a unique human who isn't me and I think that was something I really enjoyed in the you know in as much as I was writing a, a, a sad and um you know, sometimes quite distressing story. I, I was also following this extraordinary girl with this really unique voice and kind of quirky sense of humor and really interesting way <laughs> of seeing the world. And she lost her dad. In, you know, I haven't had her exact lived experience. I've had a, an experience that you could say runs parallel to hers um, with my, you know, my own, you know, my own family history is, is different but similar. And so, um, what I found really interesting was honouring Biz's story first, 
but finding that my own experiences were weaving in and kind of touching almost like inter, interweaving threads where every now and then I would just touch and, and my experience and her experience would resonate. So my own dissociation kind of came into it and my own um, just, yeah, floating out of my body, detaching from the world, feeling other, you know, all those things are my own lived experiences. Um, so it was interesting to kind of just weave in and out and find that I was not consciously writing my story, but um, that it, it couldn't help but come out through through Biz while yeah, also yeah. honouring her very unique, very, very unique story as well. I think that's a really lovely way to put it. I guess, you know, authors and writers do often say that, you know, there's, there's parts of them in different characters, but yeah. the way you just put that was really beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Biz is such a wonderful character as well. On the page, she really comes alive and I just felt for her so much. I just wanted to reach in and give her a hug at times. You know, it's it's such a compelling story. So, yeah, you've made such a wonderful character in Biz. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, as I wrote her story, I knew that I wanted very much to look after her and keep her as safe as I could. So what you feel reading her is similar to what I felt writing her, just this mm. wanting very much for there to be a hopeful ending and a, and a new beginning for her. So that's one of the, one of the aim. It wasn't so much an aim. It's, it's all quite unconscious when you're first starting. And then I realized that I was intentionally working towards finding a way to keep her as safe as I could. Um, so yeah, so similar feeling of protectiveness and, and care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I guess something that's been explored in the book and, you know, something that we talk about a lot in society is this idea that there's some sort of expiration period on grief, um, oh. that you're allowed a certain amount of time before you move on, that you can ever really move on, um, mm. and how it feels to float really challenges that. So do you mind sort of discussing that a little bit more, especially, I guess, in, in relation to your own experience? Um, well, what I think uh, I have found is that it just never goes away. And what it what comes in, um, w- one of the things I've been exploring in my life recently is this idea that things can can exist at the same time. So you can be um, devastated by a loss or devastated by a turn of events, and you can also be looking for hope, and you can also laugh, and you can also love and embrace life. And um, and one of the things that I um, I have found that's helped me get through my own grief and, and the way it has pulled me apart and, and kind of laid me bare is, is to work as hard as I can to find the ends, the, okay, this is true and it will never not be true. I will always miss this person and I will continue and I will honour them and I will look for the colours and I will cherish what I had and and continue to love that person and think of them often. So, and I've I've experienced devastating grief at the, at the loss of a friendship as well. It, it doesn't have to come in the form of the end of a life. It can be the end of a relationship or or a friendship, and that can be quite devastating as well. So I kind of wanted to explore the ways that all those losses can have an impact on you and 
and and crumple you you know months or years later you know when when there's a reminder or a, or just a memory comes up unbidden and you just inside you you just heart cracks again you know and so I wanted to kind of that's just a truth and all the other things are also true you know the walking by the sea and 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 feeling hope and and feeling lifted up by by beautiful things is also true so that's kind of my own experience with that Mm. it's um it's very interesting I think the timing of when I read this book um, and when I was writing the last episode of my true crime podcast because mm. I wanted to explore those same notions in the final episode of the podcast as well. So um, the the crime that I discussed in that is 20 years old now, but mm. obviously, you know, for a mother who loses her child, it feels like yesterday. And yeah. um, so for the final episode, I really wanted to look at how she rebuilt her life and how it's different and she's a different person. But one of the things that she said that really stuck with me was, you know, she said a part of her died when her daughter died, you know, and she was yeah. sort of mourning the loss of her daughter but also mourning the loss of that person that she knew she could never be again. Yeah. Yeah, I think um... – well, I, that's a devastating story. I just so much compassion to to that woman and and what she experienced. And I, yeah, and just kind of want to sit with that for a minute and just honor that. And um, I think it's true. I think um, I I think about my own dad and how he's been gone for a long time. And and but every now and then my sister texts me and says, well, she'll she'll just say something. We almost speak in code about him she'll send an emoji or she'll be like thinking of him today and you know I'll have visual snatches of of my time with him and it was a very complicated relationship um but the loss of him you know I felt like I was losing him for a very long time um since I was a child Mm -hmm. really when when he died and so it's interesting to whenever you touch on it and I think I used a word um I kind of referenced that um in the book just the sense of like a tongue on a tooth like it you'll always kind of it'll always come back to you and and the part of you that didn't have that loss or or didn't have that hurt um you know you'll you'll always be affected um and not ever be the person you'll never be that person again without the loss you have to walk with it kind of for the rest of your life but it stops maybe being front and center of every waking moment um hopefully I mean but there's no rule that it has to be that way either. It's it's very complicated, isn't it? It's really it just, is. it's it, kind it of is. a kind yes, of an incredible yes. myriad and and it, of, of feelings and thoughts and and it's messy and what it is is very unique to every single person and and I know someone who read my book said well my my grief wasn't like that and I thought how could we can't all we would all have our own unique stories of loss and you know, I can only write what I know and what I imagined for Biz as well. Yes, yeah. definitely. I think that grief really is something that, you know, I mean, every human walks through life with different experiences than everyone else. But yeah. grief seems to be something that is so, so individual that mm. you never really know you know, how you will react or how someone you love will react or how... Yeah 
it will will affect you and it's so personal and so unique and yet somehow how it feels to float is still relatable when it you know it has come from you know elements of your own experience yeah I think you would have been able to write the same book without certain experiences um I think uh, I think it's a combination of my grief experiences and my mental health experiences, and mm. I guess um, having having had to live with mental health issues and mental illness since um, you know since kind of pre-memory, really, um, it's kind of all I know to have you know and then realizing I have to live with it and I have to manage it and have to carry it with me and then to have grief come in and you know just as you think okay I I think I've got this living thing down and then grief (laughs) takes your legs out from under you um and there's you know I remember you know there there are people I lost at you know quite a young age and then you know and the steady kind of you know loss that is watching you know watching a parent you know not 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 cope very well with with life and you know so all those things kind of wove into my mental health and affected it really my whole life and so I think um it's a lifetime of those lived experiences that um have influenced the book and I think it's kind of like I don't know that I could have written any story really any differently because I feel like I've been living with these things forever and I think what was interesting, I think, for this book was it was it was when I finally understood, it was almost like a conscious, oh, I'm writing a book about how grief affects mental health. I'm, I'm writing a book mm. about how it turns your way of seeing upside down. And, and that was a very, very much um, a raw experience from a very recent loss. And so, yeah, I think even though I'd, I'd had experiences all through my life that influenced the book, it was that one really acute experience in the way, it, you know, it knocked me completely sideways and it was like, ah, oh, okay, now I actually know how to write the most acute parts because that's when my dissociation, you know, went and had a really great time <laughs> with my brain. <laughs> it was like, oh, we're going to play. We're going to, we're going to, you're going to float for a really, really, really long time, you know, and, I'm laughing about it now because in a way you kind of go, huh, you know, I I had that lived experience. I hated it. It was awful. But I made a book and that's beautiful. So I have that, you know. Yeah, certainly. Was it therapeutic for you to go back over those experiences and and to see how they affected Biz as a character? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think I – it's hard to know when when my conscious understanding of what I was doing came in and I know that I wrote quite a bit of the book in a quite severe state of dissociation um and it was almost after I wrote I think the first draft of the book and then I um got more treatment and um was kind of pulled out of that space um by beautiful beautiful mental health experts and I was able to look and go oh um okay so I'm writing I'm writing a book um and I can see where my experiences are here 
And I and there was something really lovely about going. I kept going. The writing of the book is kind of the anchor that kept me going through that really difficult time. It was every morning I sat down and I wrote this book and I wrote it from this hour to this hour. And I knew every day I was going to do that. And it was kind of the thing that kept me going. And and so afterwards, when I looked at what I'd done and what I'd achieved over that period, and that I'd written this story of biz. Um, in a way that was trying to keep her safe and was touching on those experiences, then I could go, yes, this has been therapeutic and yes, this has been healing. But I don't think I actually was aware of of the healing qualities really until I'd written it all down. You know, it's sometimes, you know, when you write out all your feelings in your journal and then afterwards you feel like you've let go of something and release kind of a weight it's it's quite oh yeah yeah so you're not going oh I'm going to I'm this is going to feel great afterwards you don't know that until you've written it and then you just feel just a tiny bit more like you can step through the day yeah Mm. yeah Yeah, absolutely Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, obviously this book is very deeply involved with grief and mental health that, you know, we've sort of touched on that, but something mm-hmm. else that um, you explored in this was sexuality and also um, touched on slut shaming a little bit. Why did mm-hmm. you want to touch on those experiences as well? Because, you know, already grief and mental health, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a, um, you know, deep issue to talk about anyway. So why did you want to add those extra elements in as well? Um, well, the sexuality stuff, stuff, I call it, <laughs> the sexuality, <laughs> you know, when you're just like that, because it's just like, oh, it's so big, you suddenly call it stuff when it's obviously a lot more nuanced than that. Um, I kind of realized that biz wasn't, um, wasn't going to be straight when I was writing the rewrite of my, of my initial drafts, those tiny little snatches that I'd, I'd written eight years before. And I remember sitting down and um, she's got these runaway thoughts. It's three in the morning. She can't sleep. And one of the things that just keeps rolling over and over in her head is the fact that she's just kissed her best friend, Grace. Um, and she's feeling really just like, what what's that going to mean for my friendship? What does that mean for me? What do I even think about that? And I, I remember thinking, huh, OK, yes, that makes sense to me. And it was more that it just made sense to me that she was um you know not necessarily straight but also not sure of what label she could put on herself and I think Mm -hmm. um I ended up exploring that the most in kind of the first part of the book because she's just trying to live her regular high school life yes she's got a dad who keeps you know who keeps visiting her 10 years after he's passed away and yes he does float over her desk and tell her stories about his life when she's trying to get her maths homework done, but she's trying to normalize the rest of her life. And part of that regular experience as a young person is trying to figure out her sexuality. And I think all, in fact, I'd say all, all people at this, you know, these days are, are, are thinking on that question a lot more than people used to now that it's not such a heteronormative society we're like well who am I who do I like and who might I want to kiss and and these are conversations that my my students have talked to me about that um, my kids have talked to me about this is conversations that are happening you know on Tumblr and Instagram and Discord and all the ways that 
um, people chat with each other and it just felt very true to to how I saw biz and it felt very true to um, my time working with young people that this is actually a really important part of their lived experience is just kind of who they're, who they're in love with, who they're drawn to. So that just came very naturally to me um, and just felt very much, okay, this is biz. And I, I don't think I could have written her any other way. Um, the, the, the slut shaming, um, it just happened as I wrote it. It was suddenly, you know, there she was potentially losing her friend Grace to um, to this boy, and and I think she just was like, ah, oh, what's? And I actually have had a similar time trying to figure things out myself when I was younger. It was, um, why don't I feel the same way as these other young people feel? Why don't I act the same way? Um, why am I not? Um, you know, why does? Why, why do my feelings not look like um, what people do in the movies or do on, you know, on paper? Like, what? How do they? How is it that they can be so physical when my the words that people throw at me is prude and frigid? And so it was. Then in came kind of my own journey into kind of understanding my sexuality. And so you know, when when Biz does makes the choices that she makes, it's part of her questioning and part of you know, trying to fit in, trying to be normal. So, um, and then, of course, I remember very clearly just how anyone out of the norm, anyone doing things that, you know, challenge the status quo, it's like, well, then you're different, you're odd, you're other. And, you know, and I, I you know, escalated that in the story um, because it just seemed to need that that element. So it wasn't like I'm going to, oh, I'll just add these enormous <laughs> elements to it. It just felt like it was part of Biz's journey as a young person in a high school environment. Um, and, I, you know, I just it just felt very true to, to who she was and very true to the experiences of young people that I've worked with for many years. Mm. That's a long answer, I know. <laughs> no, no, it's I fine. Think- yeah, yeah, I think that's really good. And, you know, part of what I was just thinking about while, you you know, you're giving that long answer that wasn't all that long, <laughs> um, was that, you know, people are more than one thing. And, yeah. you know, this story of Biz as, you know, a teenager, like there's so much going on. Of course there's more than one, you know, yeah. big theme throughout yeah. the book almost. Yeah, very much so. And I, I know people who, um, oh, you know, just instantly comes to mind, you know, the number of young people who've who've talked to me at my dining table and who've, you know, we've sat in various places and they've just started talking about their lives and they're managing schoolwork, mental health issues, um, love stuff, you know, sexuality stuff, um, being heartbroken, being betrayed, you know, things not working out as they want. Um, I've been unbelievably privileged in that I get to sit with young people and they talk and we talk like humans, um, Mm. probably because I'm not a teacher and I'm not you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm not in the school environment, and so I, I'm just a person who they talk to, who they, who we write together with, and we bear our souls as writers. And so, um, I hear about the, you know, what's on these 
amazing young people's plates and it's definitely complicated and 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 you know you could go well what you know I could say what what's making you feel a certain way and they'd be like well have a look at this plate you know which things you want to pick up and explore because mm. there's a lot here you know and yeah my heart goes out to a number of the amazing people I get to work with because they've got a lot to carry so yeah and that all seems so much heavier than oh goodness <laughs> <laughs> major again okay um <laughs> Yeah, I definitely wouldn't want to go back there. Uh, yeah. God, yep. Yeah. 16-year-old Caitlin was very different. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think so, um, at the same time I have to say, though, that these young people are full of fire and mm. power and, and spit and ready to, like, they, they've got stories in them that are really fantastic. And, I'm, and it's like while they're living that experience, um, I don't think they're thinking, oh, I want to be, you know, 10 years ahead. I think they're just trying to figure out that experience and trying to make the best of it. But, yeah, sometimes we can look back and go, oh, oh, you know, oh, that was hard. Or, you know, I would love for this to be easier. But, you know, at the same time, I'm, you know, I, I know amazing, like, climate change warriors who are 17 years old, you know, and they're, they're actually out there making a difference in the world, and that makes me so inspired. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's definitely pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, probably, but, probably sounds like I'm gushing about my young, the young writers, but I just no, I, please I, do talk about them <laughs> hours. <laughs> um, we would love to hear a bit about your adventures overseas, though, and how that's oh. influenced your writing. Ooh. Um. Okay. That's yeah. I think. Um. Well, I. I was born in Peru, and so oh. I was, yeah, <laughs> I was born wow. in Peru, and um, my first language was Spanish, and I remember very clearly um, going to a school in England uh, in a little, in a town called Reading, and going to, um, I think, preschool or kindergarten and hiding out in the little kitchen play area because I didn't understand what anyone was saying. And so oh. I remember looking out through the windows and this all these faces and all these noises and not understanding what people were saying. And that, that I think, had a pretty big impact on, on me. Um, and then having to learn English. My parents um, were told that the only way to really embed the English language was to stop speaking Spanish to me. So I, I actually lost my first language and suddenly had to figure out the new one quite quickly. And oh, then, that's a shame. yeah, so that was, that was a big, that was a big shift. And, you know, my, my parents' lives were very tumultuous. There was a lot of, you know, not being together and then being together again. So we moved around a lot as they were figuring that stuff out and, so we went to, my mum and my sister and I went to Barcelona in Spain and we lived there for a while and then we moved to England and then we moved to Australia and then we moved to Samoa um, where I spent two and a half years there and um, then came back and had to try and fit into Australian normal suburban life and just mm. the oddest person out. Oh my gosh, I mean... <laughs> I teased about my accent. Um, I didn't know how to walk. I remember watching this popular girl walk and trying to imitate her walk just so that maybe I could fit in. You know, I was just, oh, yeah. I, I, I look back and I just want to give 
child me the biggest hug because I was so lost and I we in Samoa we didn't have a television we didn't you know my I just listened to the records that my parents listened to so it was you know Simon Garfunkel and the Bee Gees and you know and I showed up to to primary school sixth grade and nobody was listening to that and everybody was super cool and kissing boys and <laughs> I don't know any of this language I don't understand it and and then of course I went to three different high schools and so and then of course the wandering the you know the nomadic childhood kind of took hold and I went wandering myself and went to New Zealand and lived in America and then permanently moved to America for about seven years and that's when I got my my MFA which I'm thrilled that I got to do that um yeah but I moved around quite a lot in the U.S. as well yeah, and then I came home with with a husband and a child and a an MFA degree, and, and then it was like, oh, I'm in Wollongong, and when are we going to leave Wollongong? And um, <laughs> but we didn't. <laughs> so it took me a while to understand that I was somewhere that actually brought me real joy, that I was beside the sea, you know, it wasn't hectic here, and I could actually put roots in and build a community and and that has been unbelievable as as someone who was raised as a complete nomad to spend the last 18 years of my life in one place that had never happened to me before I moved here so yeah so lots of moving lots of otherness lots of not fitting in um and so I think I've I often write from the point of view of of a watcher or someone who you know Biz is very much a watcher um, an observer and she's got the added difficulty of her loss and her grief and her mental health issues and and so I think I just wrote uh, with a completely deep and abiding understanding of what it feels like to be on and on the outside so mm-hmm. yeah it was a yeah a bit of a lonely childhood I would say but I I do have one dear friend from when I was eight years old who you know we got to stay being friends and now she's just one of my closest friends and that's kind of extraordinary to me that you know out of all of that travel and all of that disconnection you know there are people from my history who are constant still in my life which is kind of a marvel and a miracle I'm quite quite amazed by that yeah I love that I think it is you know a real testament you know it's it's so hard to stay friends with people sometimes like as life changes. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really impressive when people, you know, are friends for, for so long. So that's really wonderful. Yeah. It's kind of a surprise because yeah, we were, we were good friends and then we um, lost touch and then we just recently got back in touch and it's like, Oh my God, I've known you since I was eight. (laughs) (laughs) And that like, how is it that in this wild history that, you know, there's this person who's known me since I was basically a, a baby. So um, that's been really lovely, actually, a very recent lovely thing. So, you know, you can feel quite, and I wanted to talk about this a little, is um, so many things can make you feel lonely and it can be um, the travel and, and the newness, like this goes from school to school to school. And um, and that's such a disembodying feeling just just moving like that and and there's so much loneliness inherent in that and then I also thought about how lonely grief can be because so many people don't know what to do with profound and and long-lasting grief they don't just it's very very hard for them to kind of navigate 
around a sad person and, and I've experienced that. So I was thinking there's so many elements of loneliness in our lives where we feel alone, even if we're surrounded by people, we can feel very alone. And and so I think, you know, in all the other things that I was explore, exploring, I realized kind of looking back, it's like, oh, I've also explored loneliness and mm. um, yeah, and just kind of wanting to write a book that said, look at what happens when people reach out and offer a way through like offer community and offer love and connection and companionship and just quiet cups of tea on a couch and and the life-saving quality of that when you do feel so lonely has been kind of one of the the things I've I've realized I'm, I most want to um kind of celebrate in a way that you know I wrote this book that was about connection and compassion and and kindness and you know, and just that reaching out and offering, offering just any kind of lifeline to that kind of lonely, isolated person. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's um, it's very interesting to hear you talk about all your different experiences overseas because I'm about to move overseas for the first Ooh. time, and. I'm very nervous about, you know, what what could happen and stuff like that. But I guess in in these um, very connected days, at least most people are only a Skype or a, a phone call yeah. away. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know that when I moved... lived in the same place your whole life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where are you going? Where are you moving to? Uh, we're moving to England. Oh, okay. And do you know people there? I do have some friends there, yes, but um, we may not end up living near them. Um, everything's still up in the air. We leave on Thursday. So oh, as we chat now, everyone, it's Tuesday <laughs> night. Um, so oh, we leave in two days and, um, yeah, my partner's trying to find a job. And so we might end up living a, a, a little bit away from uh, my friends, but mm-hmm. for, the, for the chance to have a stable job, I think that we both much appreciate that and um, to have a steady income would be worth it. Yeah. Well, I know that um, moving to a brand new place, um, yeah, it's definitely one of those things that I would, I guess, say is just just hold on when the ride kind of gets a little rough or when you feel a little bit lost um, because things do shift over time and connections aren't instantaneous but when they come they can be beautiful and kind of deep and 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 then however many years later it's like oh my gosh I met this person who I have now known for five years and I remember meeting them at this pub in England or you know Mm -hmm. I met one of my oldest friends in a writing class in Seattle in Washington and I remember being very lonely in that time really really lonely and I didn't know that I was meeting a, a friend I would still be in touch with you know, decades later. And so it's one of those things that it's like, I guess, looking back, it's like, oh, I could have even taken, now that I know that I was stepping into that, it's one of the things that gets me through that loneliness is going, oh, you know, I am lonely. And I've just had this new adventure where I walked to this place that I've never been before or um, I take a lot of photos, um, probably doesn't surprise you having, you know, looked through my book, um, but, you know, just that thing of like capture this, remember this, you know, this kind of sense of here I am in this moment 
and um, it's scary and it's also beautiful and exhilarating. And I know that I went to, I went somewhere new the other day. We visited a bookstore and I got off the train and I thought, I have never been in this part of Sydney ever in my life. And I've never walked up this street and I've never done this thing and I've never gone here. And I suddenly thought, oh, wow. And <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, sometimes that can be a little bit of an antidote to that fear and that, oh, I don't know anyone. And, oh, this is awkward of stepping into these new spaces. But there's also that flip side of I've never done this before. And, you know, so almost yeah, playing with your mind almost just going it's you know it is scary and it's also an adventure is something that I've had to work on for years um to navigate my own fear and and apprehension about new things and anxiety about things it's I'm learning to go I accept all of those feelings and I'm also in the middle of an adventure yeah Mm. which I guess it sort of comes back to what you were talking about at the start when when you accept that you're going to feel grief but you can also feel a multitude of other things as well yeah I think Mm. it's I think um one of the things I actually wrote into the book was the form of therapy that um Biz receives in in the book is called acceptance and acceptance commitment therapy is actually a form of psychological um health help that you can get and I remember learning about it it's actually this technique that you have and it's almost like a practice that you work on um, about accepting accepting things and not holding on to them tightly or resisting them it's about going okay yes I accept that I'm feeling this way Um, and and almost like holding it lightly so that other things have room to to be there with you and so um I know that that's been really helpful to me. So, and it genu- genuinely is something that's saved saved my life. Really, is that sense of accepting. Sometimes um, I still have mental health issues. I still have really difficult days. Um, really, just like in you know, like a star collapsing kind of day. It's like you just can't see a way out. And so, one of the things that helps me a lot is just going, "Yes, I feel terrible." Um, and just riding it, riding it almost like a wave of pain. It's like, and I think of it almost like a trash wave. Like it's a, it's just, you're just on top of this whole thing and there's debris everywhere and you're like incredibly uncomfortable or really sad. Um, and so, and it's quite painful. And so as, as I ride it, it's like, here I am, I'm riding this wave, this difficult moment. It is as hard as, as anything, um, you know, in, in each moment when you're when you're dealing with a difficult mental health moment, it's it's like, ah, oh, this is so hard. Let me out. Let me out. Um, part of me that's part of uh, what's helped me is just going, I am I am riding the wave of it. I'm just going to ride it. I'm just going to ride it. And you don't know when it's going to end. But gen- generally what I found by not fighting it and by just going, here I am on a trash wave. Here I am in this hard moment. Um, there's it almost it's almost like because I'm not fighting it, it just passes. It just moves through, you know. It's just an unbelievable feeling to to ride it, and then the the next day or the next moment, going, ah, oh, it's you know, it's like I don't know. I don't, you know, when it's like a physical pain, and then when it passes, there's this lovely feeling of I made it. I made it through that wave, and look at me, you know, <laughs> look at me managing this hard moment. Um, so yeah, the acceptance mm. is a huge part. 
huge part of my kind of survival bag of tricks. I think you just put that so beautifully. That's, yeah, <laughs> it's just perfect. Um, so I'd just like to ask then to, to finish off, you know, um, we often ask debut authors how the publishing process has been. I'd love to know if there was any advice you could go back and give your past self before you got that publishing contract, what would it be? Um, uh, well, let's see. The, one of the things that was really interesting for me was that I got a publishing contract in the US and Australia at the same time. Um, oh, wow. And so I was, oh, yeah. yeah, so I've been released by the US by um, an imprint of Penguin Random House. So I'm with um, a publishing company called Dial that is part of the big umbrella of Penguin Random House. And so the lead editor for me was actually my US editor, um, a woman called Jess, who was amazing. And um, I think what might have helped me, um, I mean, I, I navigated it okay. It was just really intense, very intense and just kind of, it was a different kind of wave entirely. It was like, you are about to be hit by a massive load of work. Hold on. Um, so it might have been, um, my advice might have been like, just so you know, you're going to be working really, really, really hard and you're going to finish um, your edits for your for this publisher and then you're going to need to work in a different way with your Australian publisher and you're going to have two deadlines and two two big kind like lots of emails coming and I think it was like just remember to sleep because I kind of stopped sleeping for about eight months. <laughs> um, so remember to sleep, go for walks, know that um, and the thing is, it's it's not that exhilaration and adrenaline and sleeplessness is not unique to me. I actually have two other friends who, unbelievably, we, we all got publishing deals about the same time. And the intensity of their work isn't, hasn't been, you know, less than mine. It's just mine was just a bit different because I was having to work with with these two publishers, but we were all kind of going, whoa. <laughs> so oh. there was something really kind of lovely about knowing that that and that adrenaline and, the, you know, the worries, um, is this, am I doing this right as a debut author? Everybody feels that way. Um, all three of us have, you know, had the intense highs and lows of, is this going to work out? Have I done the right thing? You know, did I, did I, Put the, have we caught all the typos? So that mm -hmm. I think what I would say is what you're feeling is completely normal. Prepare for an incredible load of work and remember to sleep. <laughs> so mostly I just remember to sleep. Advice. <laughs> I also, yeah. that must have been so, well, I don't know if fun is the right word, but it would have been really nice to go through that at the same time as friends of yours, like all sort of going through those steps together. Yeah, I think um, that's one of the things, you know, when I think about things that have helped me through um, is we have this Friday uh, women writers group down here in Wollongong. And um, one of my friends, her book came out a month before mine with Hachette. And my other friend, her book is coming out with um, Picador in September. And then the two other friends as part of it are also getting, they're doing their PhDs and they're also working on their novels. And so all of us just sit there and we just love talking about what we're reading and how we're, you know, managing writing and how, we, how we're balancing our lives. Um, and I didn't have a writing community. I was mostly being a mum 
when I first moved to Wollongong. And so I just I made friends with fellow mums, um, but I didn't have like an, a writing community. And when I met these four other women, it was like, hey, suddenly we were together and suddenly we were this really tight group partly because we were having such similar experiences and partly because mm-hmm. we were all really passionate about the work, really in love with words, in love with writing. Like the way that the way that we talk about a book that we love is like, you know, somebody who's like tasted the best meal they've ever had, you know, it's, oh, you've got to try this, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's something really nourishing about, being with like minds and and whether it's I think about other writers who are aspiring towards that and and I just think any kind of connection people find it on Twitter you know so they might find it online and I know there's an incredibly supportive writing community on Twitter it might be on Instagram or Facebook but you know physical or online that just that sense of here's a like mind um, you know just somebody to say oh boy, you know, I only wrote 10 words today. I mean, but I wrote 10 words, you know. Uh, so, and, or someone to just gush about a book with that that not only loves books, but also loves trying to make magic themselves with their words is just a really lovely, I feel really grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. There's nothing better. Community. Yeah, it really is. I think having been kind of lonely for a, for a long time and then planting myself in Wollongong and finding these relationships, not just with writers, but with other tremendously creative people in the Wollongong community. There's, I'm friends with circus performers and visual artists and musicians. And it's like, oh, my God, it's like everywhere you look, there's somebody doing something, some incredible project. And and because I've been somewhere long enough now, I can actually be part of a community, a creative community. And, like, there's no I, – I think grateful is just not even big enough at all for how I feel when I when I know I'm living somewhere beautiful and I get to be surrounded by these people I admire and respect. And, and then that extends to gratitude for the, the writers who've embraced, you know, who've welcomed me into the community who are, you know, in the U.S. and the writers – you know, from the Wollongong University who didn't know me, who who are supporting me. And it's kind of like you step into this world and everyone's like, hey, come join us, come sit at our table. And it's a really lovely feeling not having had that a lot very much growing up or at all. So it's kind of like, oh, I get to, I get to be here and I belong and I'm, I'm welcomed. And, yeah, it's a pretty – I think that is the most magical – one of the most magical parts of this whole experience is being part of something bigger, being part of just a world of people who love words as much as I do is, and we can all kind of geek out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's basically um, exactly why we started this podcast. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's beautiful what you guys do. I think it's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we love it. <laughs> um, I think that's a wonderful note and a very uplifting note to end this chat on because we've touched on some um, pretty serious things. Yeah. So, look, thank you again, Helena, for joining us. Where can people find you online? Um, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram mostly. Um, I'm mostly um, I'm Helena Fox Oz on Twitter and on Instagram, and I'm. On Twitter, I mostly write things like well done to other authors and thank you to people who've been kind to me. 
and on Instagram, <laughs> you'll see a lot of pictures of the ocean and my cats. So <laughs> with kind of little reflections on life. So that's the main places that you find me. I do have a website that I desperately need to update. But yeah, I'm, I find Instagram to be a really lovely place to hang out. because It's just, I love photographs. So it's a really, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Twitter, Twitter moves so fast. <laughs> I find Twitter to be so fast. It's like you can sit there for one minute and it's like 20 new tweets and it's like, oh. So Instagram, I sit there and I'm like, that's really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's, that's like, like the perfect description of those two. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, but this thank is you so much for joining us. It's been so fun to chat to you and listen to you speak so beautifully. Thanks for having me. It's been really wonderful. So I've been just so looking forward to talking with you. So thank you so much for asking me to be part of it. So lovely. (laughs) Thank you for saying yes. It's our pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Better Words. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you left a rating or review on iTunes. It really would mean the world to us. And you can also find us at our website, betterwordspodcast.com and on social media at betterwordspod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Bye. Bye.